This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson. Today, further thoughts on a balanced reading program. Reading programs need to be balanced. Everyone knows that. This means that it's not all just one thing, like all phonics, or all reading, or all writing, or all anything. Instead, there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Now, you may not have noticed, but children are not standardized products. Children learn differently, in different ways, and at different rates. Thus, in learning to read, some children need a little more of one thing, while others need a little bit more of another thing. So trying to push all children through the same reading program will result in the slowed growth of some and the frustration of others. We need to teach the child. We are teaching the child, not the program. Effective teachers teach children. Factory workers teach programs. Whenever possible, strive to be a teacher, not a factory worker. So, what does a balanced program look like? Well, first, number one, the number one priority is to help children fall in love with books. After this, everything else is easy. Number two, conditions are created to enable students to learn to read. We don't teach children to read as much as we create the conditions whereby they can learn to read. Some children learn to read in spite of what we do to them. So instead of calling it reading class, why don't you call it reading practice? Remember, reading is creating meaning with print. It is not sounding out letters or sounding out words. It is not pronouncing words. Number three, you teach multiple ways to recognize words. Remember, phonics is just one of six ways to recognize words. It's the least efficient in terms of thinking space used. You should teach children all six ways to recognize words. And here are the six ways. Number one is context clues. This means figuring out what the word is by looking at what makes sense within the sentence. The second one is morphemic analysis, figuring out what the word is by looking at the prefix, suffix, and root word. The third one is word analysis or word families. You figure out what the word is by looking at word families or parts of the word that you recognize. The fourth one is ask a friend. Turn to a friend and say, hey, what's that word? You need to teach children how to do that. The fifth one is to say blank. If you're reading and you find a word that you don't recognize, you say blank and keep moving on. If you're still creating meeting with print, why stop to figure out what the word is? However, you'll find that when students say blank, they'll move down the sentence a couple words and come back and nine times out of ten, they'll be able to identify what that word is. And then the last one is phonics. Using minimal letter cues in combination with context clues to figure out what the word is. It's the least efficient, but we still must teach children how to use phonics to identify or to recognize words. All right, so the fourth thing in a balanced reading program, there's lots of reading practice. Would you expect to get better at playing golf without practicing? Certainly not. 
In the same way, all humans get better at reading by practicing it. Time set aside for silent reading is one of the best things you can do to promote and enhance reading. How much time should you set aside? Well, you might start with the following guidelines. I would say 15 to 30 minutes in the primary grades, 30 to 60 minutes in the intermediate grades, 40 to 90 minutes in middle school and high school. Earlier in the year, younger children might only be able to focus for 10 or 15 minutes. But once they learn that reading is something they'll do every day and that it's a pleasurable experience, they will become able to read for longer periods of time. Balanced reading, idea number five, children are invited to choose easy books. As adults, we don't always choose challenging material to read, we choose pleasurable material to, to read. So inviting children sometimes to read easier material reinforces the pleasurable aspect and enhances reading fluency. Children need to be able to practice reading by choosing easy books to read. Number six, students are allowed to make choices about reading material. Can you imagine, as an adult, if you could only read what people assigned you to read? What would it be like if you couldn't go into a library and look for a book that interested you? Choice is one of the most powerful motivators for reading and needs to be included in any reading program. However, this doesn't mean total choice all the time. Rather, there are three continuums of choice. First is a choice within a sample. For example, we've got five books to read this week. You can choose the one that you wish to read. Second is choice within a category. Example, this month we're looking at historical fiction and a historical nonfiction. You can choose any book related to the Civil War. Or third, total choice. Example, find a book you would like to read or that you would enjoy reading. Idea number seven, reading practice sessions or class should have more reading than skills work. Now, Constance Weaver suggests the following formula. 70 to 80% of reading class or practice be authentic reading activities and 20 to 30% be skills work. Sadly, we get those two mixed around. The eighth idea is authentic literacy activities are used most often. Not contrived basal skills worksheets. Now, there's nothing wrong with the worksheets as long as they aren't the only thing you use in a reading class. Now, if you look through a Basel teacher's manual, you notice that a lot of worksheets have absolutely nothing to do with enjoying the story or helping children create meaning with text. So part of your job as an intelligent and creative teacher of reading is to save your students from these contrived sorts of activities. These alternative activities and assignments comprise the majority of the books and podcasts that I write and create and talk about. Idea number seven, teachers are allowed by their district and principal to make choices about their students. Imagine that. Now there's a movement today for more top-down mandates by state and federal governments and by school districts. 
These entities who do not know you or your children want to tell you how to teach and what to teach and when to teach and how long to teach it. Our schools need creative and intelligent teachers, yet these teachers are often denied the ability to use their creativity and intelligence in designing learning experiences. When teachers are allowed to make decisions related to teaching and learning, student achievement is enhanced and schools become more effective learning communities. However, with freedom comes responsibility. Teachers must then be responsible for making sure they know what a body of research says is effective related to teaching and learning. Idea number 10, seat work is not used to simply keep students busy. In the olden days, and sometimes in the new days, students were given seat work to keep them busy while the teacher worked with a small group up front at the table. This sort of busy work was often meaningless and had more to do with measuring students and keeping them silent and passive than helping them enjoy good books or create meeting with text. In an effective literacy environment, students spend most of their time reading, writing, and talking about literacy. The 11th idea of voluntary reading is promoted. Voluntary reading is the reading children do at home or when on their own, when they're not required to do so. This is related to helping children fall in love with books and to providing lots of reading practice, opportunities for sustained silent reading. The amount or volume of reading children do is related to improvements in fluency, comprehension, and achievement. And the last idea for effective balanced reading instruction, round-robin reading is avoided. Round-robin reading is the practice of going around in a circle or a room and calling on children to read selections out loud. This is a silly practice that does more to discourage and humiliate non-readers than to help them. It also slows down the reading process and decreases comprehension. But most importantly, it's not what real-life readers do. I have yet to go into a library and see people sitting around a table taking turns reading out loud. So the question's asked, how do I know that students are reading the assignment? Well, of course, we have many ways to do this. Story maps, book talks, double journal entries are just some of the many ways. All right, this has been the Reading Instruction Show. We've been looking at a balanced reading program, and I've given you seven good descriptors or things that effective balanced reading programs look like or include.